and casual bystanders to F1 Mode Push episode 14. We are reviewing the Mexico Grand Prix today, and we are trying to bring more energy and excitement to this episode than maybe was actually in the race itself. He is the older one on the show, Buzz Schur. And she is the still younger one, Jeannie Ruskett. If you don't already, make sure you're following us on Elon Musk's Twitter at F1 Mode Push and on Meta at F1 Mode Push Podcast. We would love to interact with you. So if you're on either of those platforms, also feel free to message us and we might just read out your comments on a future episode. Before we get into the less than thrilling race, let's discuss the far more thrilling silly season because... There is something that has never disappointed this season. No, the Red Bull mess has just been wonderful. We'll know at the top, there's one one correction that we have to make on behalf of the team. So if you remember back at Austin, Fernando Alonso was given a 30-second penalty after the race. This was because Haas filed a complaint about Alonso's mirror that was shaking in the wind for several laps before finally breaking off. So in response to that complaint by Haas, Alonso was given a post-race 30-second penalty, which cost him his seventh-place finish. Alpine appealed that decision. The stewards in Mexico this weekend reviewed that appeal and revoked the penalty. So Alonso was given back his seventh-place finish in Austin. Now, question being... Why did Alpine win the appeal? Well, it all comes down to the sporting regs, which say that a team has 30 minutes post-race to challenge a race decision. And Haas filed their complaint closer to an hour afterwards. A careful, disciplined decision by FIA. Yes, because... The FIA and the stewards just very, very strict about enforcing the the rule. Yes. Yeah. Funny. Funny that we go from that to Red Bull's cost cap breach. Buzz, we finally get the news that we have been waiting for. Yes, yes. The FIA determined that the team Red Bull had breached the cap by $2.2 million, known as a minor breach, a term of art only. Red Bull agreed to a accepted breach agreement, an ABA. Several features of the an ABA is you have to admit guilt in order to participate in an ABA, you, and you cannot appeal it. You're stuck with it. Nor can any other team challenge it, right? This is locked in stone. It's locked in. And finally, the advantage of an ABA is you cannot be docked either driver's championship points or constructor's championship points. So it's it's a very attractive plea bargain, depending on your concerns about your potential punishment. So here's the thing, though. As you noted, part of an ABA is you have to admit guilt, which Red Bull did in writing. Christian Horner then convened a press conference on Friday to give Red Bull's side of the story. And during this press conference, he 
said that Red Bull agreed to the ABA to prevent the process from dragging on for months. They wanted an end to it. They've been so upset by all of the criticism that Red Bull has taken in in recent weeks. However, he also said that the ABA was not an admission of guilt, but rather a reflection that Red Bull interpreted the regulations differently from the FIA. Isn't that polite? They just interpreted the regs differently, Buzz. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because the year before the regs went into effect, the FIA offered all 10 teams an opportunity to practice the financial regulations, the cost cap issues. Nine of those 10 teams that received the offer agreed that they they would engage they in... They took the FIA up on this like practice audit of sorts. Yeah, so they could understand how FIA was going to interpret the regulations. Jeannie, would you happen to know what team did not take them up on this? Let me guess. Would it be Red Bull? Bingo. You win the prize for the day. You, too, get one of the baked goods. Also, can we just state the obvious that under the law, ignorance of the law is never an excuse for violating it. If it was, there are so, 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 so many people who have been convicted of a crime who would like to raise their hand and appeal their conviction on the basis of, I didn't understand the law. Certainly all the people I represented. Yeah, exactly. It, was, it wasn't that they committed a crime. It was just that they they didn't agree with the interpretation of the law as it was interpreted by the cops, the judge, and the jury. Yeah, so good luck. We'll talk about Red Bull's approach to all of this and what yeah, it's done this for is them called in a minute. PR. The penalty yeah. is what it is. Buzz, what is that penalty? The penalty has several features. It is a $7 million fine imposed on a a billion-dollar corporation. Yeah, this is pocket change. $7 million. Christian Horner could probably write a personal check for that and be done with it. But they do have to pay it within 30 days, Jeannie. They have a 10% reduction in aerodynamic time in the wind tunnel and in computational fluid dynamics over the next... 12 months starting the day of the imposition of the penalty. It will reduce as as the... First as place the constructors c- Constructor team. series first place team. Their wind tunnel time is automatically reduced for the next year to 70% of what the 7th through 10th team... Yeah, so the, the wind tunnel time is allotted in descending order. So the constructors team gets the least and the team in 10th gets the most. So without the penalty, Red Bull would have had 70% of the wind tunnel time and then all the way down to Williams, assuming they end in 10th, would get 115% of the allotted wind tunnel time. So, but... As compared to this upcoming year, Ferrari will get 75%, assuming they finish in second, and and Merck will get 80%. And Red Bull will get 63% because they'll get 10% less than their 70% allotted time. So 63. So Christian Horner, continuing his efforts at PR, called the penalty draconian and claims it will cost Red Bull up to half a second in lap time. Just recall, Buzz, reminder, this is the same guy who threatened to sue Mercedes and Ferrari for defamation a few weeks ago when the other teams dared to complain about the reported cost cap breach. And who's consistently said for the last 
several months that Red Bull, there's no way it breached the uh, cost cap. No way at all. Yeah, it's just, it's It's so... defamatory to say that. (laughs) Talk about hyperbole. Christian Horner, just, yeah. He loves a soapbox and a microphone. So there is a question about what this will actually cost the team. Like, 10% is not nothing, right? When you are already reduced to 70%, getting knocked down further to 63% is not nothing. However, it's also impossible to quantify what that means. Some of the teams were trying to quantify how many runs in the wind tunnel that would be. Who knows, right? This We don't know. Maybe we'll find out next year. There's an argument to be made that Mercedes won the championship, the Constructor Series last year, so they only had uh, 70% time in the wind tunnel. And look whereas, at their car. Yeah. They, I mean, it definitely hurt them. Is it going to hurt Red Bull that much? Now, Red Bull has benefited from exceeding the cost cap. So how much will this knock them down for next season? We don't know. And and it's not at all surprising that while Christian Horner called the penalty draconian, other teams downplayed it and said, meh. McLaren's Andrew Seidel said the penalty did not fit the breach. Mercedes said, quote, draconian was an exaggeration, which is putting it politely. And Alfa Romeo's team principal, Frederick Vassar, made a point, Buzz, that you've been making, which is that really the biggest penalty here is reputational that more than the fine, the fine means nothing, and more than the 10% reduction, it's really that Red Bull now has to carry this asterisk. There's already an asterisk over Abu Dhabi last year, and now there's an asterisk over Red Bull's 2022 achievements because there's always going to be a question how much of their achievements this year were a result of the overspend. And we're never going to have an answer to that. You know, it's just impossible to have an answer to that. I think you were earlier making it when we were talking, Jeannie, make a wonderful analogy to the Houston Astros in baseball and the New England Patriots in football and the cloud that's hung over both those teams for perceived. Yeah. If a team is found for cheating, it like that, that does not go away. Right. The Astros cheating scandal was what? Three or four seasons ago now. Yeah. At least four seasons ago. Yeah, Patriots, Spygate, and then Deflategate were several years ago. And when I tell people that I'm a Pats fan, I still routinely, the response is, oh, the Spygate team. Or some comment about how the Patriots, all all of the Pats wins are really the product of cheating. And Red Bull's going to carry something similar to that. You know, and part of this is also perhaps... um, Everybody hates a winner, particularly one led a cheat. Well, particularly one led by Mister Puffery himself, Christian Horner, who, who, who he doesn't, he cannot resist fighting back and just saying total bullshit that everybody knows is not true. They don't. They don't have a good PR strategy generally. Christian Horner is not a good spokesperson. Max is not a good spokesperson, and we will get to that momentarily. But I do just want to note that one of the questions throughout this process has been, if Red Bull violated the cost cap last year, how have they been bookkeeping this year? Like, presumably they're going to make the same mistakes so Christian Horner was asked, do you think that Red Bull is in compliance of this year's cost cap? And he said he doesn't 
think Red Bull will be in violation of this year's cost cap because a number of the expenses that sent them over the cap in 2021 were one-offs. But he couldn't say with 100% confidence that the team would be in compliance of this year's cost cap. Let me translate that for you, Jeannie. Because Christian is an over-the-top master of exaggeration, when he says, I can't say with a complete 100% confidence, that means they are going to violate the cost cap. Or that they're scrambling right now to figure out how they can right. rectify the... I, yeah. I, one prediction is that they'll just fire all their accountants, hire some new ones, and say, oh... We're sorry. We just had bad accountants. Please, well, please that, give us that a break. Well, that is no excuse. I don't think that'll happen. That is, no. Unlike Alpine uh, that suffered from the absence of a sufficient legal team, I don't think Red Bull is going to point to their accountants. I think this there is more deliberate action here. But sticking to Red Bull's really crappy PR strategy, Max is now boycotting Sky Sports. And let's just, a reminder of what Sky Sports is, if you watch F1 in the United States and you watch it on ESPN, you are watching Sky Sports coverage of F1. They provide the international coverage of F1. And Max is now boycotting them. That was announced on Saturday. And on Sunday, Red Bull announced that the team would be boycotting Sky Sports. And this is all over remarks that Ted Kravitz has made pretty consistently, by the way. Kravitz has said for months that he thinks the 2021 championship was stolen from Lewis. By Michael Massey. Right, by the race director. He, he hasn't said that it was Red Bull's fault. It's that it's more a statement about Massey and how Abu Dhabi played out last year. It's not a diss against Red Bull, but Max has taken it as such. He said, quote, this whole year people have been firing words and they are not respectful, especially one person in particular. At a certain point, I don't accept it anymore. The atmosphere on social media is toxic. That only makes it worse. I think one of the downsides we're seeing, it's really kind of a, a little sad that we're seeing, I mean, what we saw at the beginning of the year, this year, was Max had a lot more confidence as a driver because he had won the championship last year. And, you know, it was good to, it was good to see that in the growth of a young driver. And he certainly came into his own this year. But he's quickly morphed from a confident driver into a diva. He's like an opera diva. He's just thin-skinned and petulant, yeah. and it really is doesn't do him. He, you know, it's just get over yourself, Max. I mean, there there are several you know athlete stars and music stars and movie stars and whatnot that have reveled in being the villain and being the bad guy. I don't think this is Max like specifically playing into that. I just think this is Max. I mean, this is the. This is the same guy who supposedly is boycotting Netflix this year because of how they portrayed him in last season's Drive to Survive. Yeah, I mean, you know, back in the 70s, the Oakland Athletics of uh, Charles Finley reveled in being the villain. But Max is, it's like he's a baby. It's really petty well, stuff. I, yeah, I think he's just, it's, it's ego. But uh, to me, the odd thing about all of this is... Red Bull is not a car manufacturer. Red Bull's only purpose for being an F1 is for marketing, is to market a sports drink. That's the only reason they're here. And you're going to boycott the largest TV producer of the sport. 
You're going to boycott Netflix that has brought in millions of new fans to F1. So here, as a, as a company, your rock star is Max Verstappen. And your rock star is boycotting massive media opportunities, which limits your marketing opportunities. It's so self-defeating. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Unfortunately, sadly for Red Bull, they're not they don't have their founder and Although I'm I'm not sure how much you would have to say about this. Like this is Red Bull's MO. I guess it's I think brash is a charitable way to describe it. Very macho is kind of the MO of, of or the personality of the team. It is across all of the sports that they market in. It's just yeah. I don't think it's a good look. Clearly, they think it works for them. So Pride comes before the fall. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much the reputational impact really does. I will say it has been interesting that Christian Horner has been so outraged by the criticism. It's something he's consistently been complaining about now for two weeks, that Red Bull's taking so much criticism and that it's being directed at the drivers and it's being directed at the mechanics. And it's just, it's so unfair. Yeah. uh, What I say to Christian Horner, say, you know, go look at what happened to the only black man to ever drive in or win a championship, let alone seven championships. And over the last seven, eight, nine years, look at the treatment that Lewis Hamilton has gotten. Christian Horner doesn't and know Lewis a thing about And Lewis somehow it. still manages to be the most respectful driver on the grid. Arguably, maybe along with Sebastian Vettel, the most yeah, the most respected driver. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Last two quick updates before we get to the race itself. Audi confirmed this week what we have long known, which is that they will officially enter F1 in 2026 as a works team with Sauber. So Alfa Romeo's partnership with Sauber will end after next year. Sauber will be presumably named Sauber for 24-25, and then it'll be... Team Audi come 2026. Which is exciting. Yeah, it's great to have another auto manufacturer in. The livery that they've been pushing out for promotional purposes is awesome. It's really uh, public art, you know, moving public art. It's a very hot car. And and plus, you know, there continues to be strong rumors that Porsche and Williams, Porsche is going to buy 50% of Williams. I don't know if I would say strong. There there is a rumor. I mean, what it sounds like is Porsche is still trying to figure out a way into the sport somehow. So we'll see. But it'd be nice to get both Audi and Porsche involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially given that F1 has bent over backwards to try and get the VW family back into F1. So it's nice that it's finally paying off. And then lastly, a kind of sort of update, and that is we're constantly wondering, what is Danny Rick going to be doing next year? The only update we have on this is that Toto Wolf said to the press this week that, quote, Daniel is talking to a few teams about a possible role, including Red Bull. So safe money is that he will be in a reserve driver role with the the question being, for which team? Some of us are certainly hoping it's not Red Bull, but... For Danny Rick's sake, I hope yeah, he's, yeah. I hope he's not going back to the team he so desperately left. Yeah, he doesn't fit the, the macho image. I'm just not sure how he'd fit in there. I'm not sure he totally fits in with Merck either, but we'll see. They're a little... Well, anyway, we don't need to go there at this point. Anyways, we will have an update. I'm guess I would... 
not be surprised if Danny Rick finally announces this after the season rather than having that be a distraction over the last two race weekends. So, but anyways, when we know, you will know. All right, on to race weekend. Wonderful start to race weekend. Mexico City, there are over 400,000 people at the race today. Almost. Almost, I think over the course well, of the weekend, it did not. Yeah, it did not reach quota size attendance, but very, very well attended. Super enthusiastic fans. They came out in costume. It was v- very exciting weekend, and a great anthem. A honestly, a great anthem today. One of my favorites. It was sung by a group of kids, and and two of the kids signed the anthem, which was very, very cool. And I, as I've said several times on Twitter. Boy, do I love the grandstands in Mexico City. They're just so cool. Just you specifically so cool. like that area where the, the the track actually drives through the grandstands. Right. I want, I want, when I go to Mexico City Grand Prix, I want to be right on the edge there looking down. You want yeah, to be able to that's... wave to the drivers as they right, go by Right, right. Yeah, Hold yeah. up. Yeah. Buzz says hi. I was going to say, you are going to be there with, you're going to be one of the fans with a giant sign. Yeah, I'll be on TV. You'll be able yeah, to watch yeah. me on TV, Jeannie. Yeah. Yep. I can't wait. All right, so getting into the practice sessions, FP1 was another DMV driver's test with several rookie drivers who actually none of them had great stints. Most of them experienced mechanical problems. Logan Sargent will not get the one super license point, which is the whole reason he was in FP1 was to get that one super license point. But in order to get the one point, a rookie driver has to drive 100 kilometers during their requisite free practice and Logan Sargent fell one lap short because the Four car kilometers. gave out. Yeah. yeah. Just oh man, you you almost wanted him to go out there and like push the car the right. extra It's like kilometers. one of those Olympians who pulls their hamstring and then uh, there's a scene yeah. uh, their father comes out and carries yeah. him over the line. Right. I don't think it's gonna cost him the rumored William seat in the end, that one point. Presumably he'll find it another way. But yeah. The other thing that was interesting from the practices is that the majority of teams did zero laps on the medium tire question mark whether that came back to haunt them come the race today yes indeed there the tire strategy was everything in the race today yeah the biggest takeaway for all the free practices is just the impact of this of the altitude that we're at the cars were sliding all over the place all of the drivers were coming on the radio to complain about a lack of grip and the reason is we're at really really high altitude when we're racing in mexico with where so we have twenty percent. I say we like we were there. The we, dry, in spirit, we were there in spirit. Right. When, when you are at this circuit, you I was have, feeling rather breathless throughout the race. There you go. There's twenty percent thinner air. So w- what does that translate to? So these cars were driving with massive rear wings. So Monaco-sized rear wings that are designed to create maximum downforce to enable cars to drive super fast around tight corners. So they're driving with massive rear wings, and yet the resulting downforce was less than what the cars achieve in Monza when they have next to non-existent rear wings. 
And that's because you have 20% thinner air. And so in effect, you're just talking about less downforce. The cars are in fact sliding around the track more. It benefited Merck. Merck is a draggy car. Generally, it's been one of their persistent problems this year. But when you have thinner air, you have less drag. Yeah, the other thing we noticed, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, is it affected some engines more than other engines. Ferrari in particular seemed to have a lot of difficulty and were concerned about even finishing the race. I was going to say the concern, like in the end, there weren't any Ferrari blown engines during the race, but they were very concerned enough so that we're, let's just talk qualifying. We should just note real quick as an example of the sliding. Leclerc did crash in FP2, damaging his gearbox. It wouldn't result in any grid penalty, but it was just proof of, of how how slippery the tracks felt to these drivers. But yeah, so the Ferraris just did not did not have a good weekend. But it turned out, we, we heard on Saturday after qualifying and then on Sunday, that they were really concerned that their engines were going to go out on them, which given the season Ferrari has had, is a legitimate concern. And so they lowered the mode on their engines. They specifically kind of lowered their pace, lowered their performance, trying to preserve their power units. So as a result, they just had a less... A blah race. Yeah, and not great qualifying. Merck was super competitive in qualifying. Again, less drag, and they've been getting better throughout the season. This was a, generally a really good weekend for them. They they were really good. Hamilton, in particular, had an excellent Q1, Q2, did not manage to put it all together in Q3. Same with Russell. Russell had a, had a legitimate chance at pole and then just did not put it together on his final lap. The Ferraris were a mess. They did make it to Q3, but just not competitively. Leclerc said he had a DRS issue on his last flying lap. He also, after qualifying, predicted a nightmare race on Sunday, which... Turned out to be anything but. Yeah. So the starting grid. Go for it. Max Verstappen in first. George Russell in a second. Really only three-tenths of a second behind. And Lewis Hamilton right behind him. Checo Perez in fourth. Carlos Sainz in fifth. Valtteri Botas in a very good uh, qualifying. Go Botas. That was an excellent qualifying for him. It was. He comes in sixth. Charles Leclerc in a less than stellar qualifying in seventh. Lando Norris in eighth. Fernando Alonso in ninth. Esteban Ocon in tenth. Danny Rick in eleventh. Zhou Guan Yu in twelfth. Yuki Tsunoda in thirteenth. Pierre Gasly in fourteenth. Schumacher in fifteenth. Seb Vettel in sixteenth. Albon in 17th, Latifi in 18th, and Magnussen, he qualified 15th, but was pushed back due to a grid penalty for new engine parts, and Lamp Stroh qualified 18th, but he had a, a three-place grid penalty from Austin for colliding with Fernando Alonso. So that was the grid. Many of us were looking forward to a really interesting race. Jeannie will now give her rapid race review, which will be particularly rapid given how little happened in the race. We should, I'll just note at the top of this that, because there were so many stats that were flying around this weekend. So going into this race, no pole sitter had finished on the podium in Mexico since 2016. And the driver in P3 had come out on top multiple times, which shined the spotlight on Hamilton going into the race. And those of us who would like Lewis to win a race before the end of the year, 
liked that yeah. spotlight. Yeah. For the, for Lewis fans, this weekend and last weekend, I think were particularly difficult because it just it felt it felt like the win was there. You're almost there. Oh. All right, rapid race review. Here we go. Going into the race, the thinking was that this would be a two pit stop race, uh, specifically for Red Bulls and Ferraris, which started on softs, and a one pit stop race for the Mercedes, starting on mediums. This is the opening lap. Hamilton jumps to second, Perez to third, and Russell drops to fourth. Norris drops to tenth, Ricardo down to thirteenth, and Alonso up to seventh. So, lots of commotion in that opening lap. Probably the most exciting lap of the race. Max yeah, has it. a yeah. That was it. We can stop now. Max has a 1.3 second lead over Hamilton by the end of the first lap. Lap 14, Verstappen is told to break Hamilton's toe. Hamilton is not within DRS range, but is benefiting from the toe in the long straights. Nonetheless, Gasly forces Stroll off track and doesn't give the position back. On lap 18, the stewards hand down a five-second penalty to Gasly and two penalty points. Stroll is the first to pit on lap 18. The Ferraris are nowhere with signs 10 seconds behind the top four cars by lap 20. Lap 23, Perez pits from softs to mediums and ends has a five-second pit stop. Lap 25, Max pits again from softs to mediums, comes out ahead of signs. Lap 29, Lewis pits from mediums to hards coming out in third ahead of Perez in fourth. Lap 44, Russell pits also from mediums to hards and comes out in fourth behind Perez. Lap 40, Ricardo pits to swap in his used mediums after 45 laps and opts for softs, proving that the mediums can go quite the distance. Lap 52, Ricardo goes to overtake Sonoda, gets too close and causes Sonoda's right rear tire to drive up over Ricardo's left front. Yuki's car sustains enough damage that he retires back at the garage. Lap 55, Ricardo is given a 10-second time penalty for causing the collision with Sonoda. Lap 59, Norse's engineer comes on the radio and admits that the team made the race hard for Lando, presumably by putting him on the hard tire. Lap 62, Alonso's having car problems, losing pace, and becomes a sitting duck for overtaking by other cars. Lap 65, Alonso pulls off track with a smoking car, resulting in a VSC. Max gains a two-second extra lead over Hamilton during the VSC, which is not mm. supposed to happen. Lap 70, Russell pits for soft tires and the fastest lap, which he does take. Max wins, becoming the most winning F1 driver as measured by the number of race wins in a season. He is not the most winning driver, at least not yet, by percentage. After the race, Toto came on the radio to admit to Lewis that in hindsight, the team may have opted for the wrong tire strategy. We end up with the exact same podium finish as last year. With Max in first, Lewis in second, Checo in third, George Russell in fourth, Carlos Sainz in fifth, Charles Leclerc in sixth, a good performance by Danny Ricardo in seventh, Esteban Ocon eighth, Lando Norris ninth, Botas tenth, Gasly 11th, Albon 12th, Zhu 13th, Vettel 14th, Stroll 15th, Schumacher 16th, Magnussen 17th, Nicholas Latifi 18th, and Fernando Alonso and Yuki Tsunoda did not finish DNFs. So Ricardo 
finished the race in seventh and was able to keep his seventh place finish because, again, he had that 10-second penalty for the collision with Sonoda, but he finished the race more than 10 seconds ahead of Ocon. Danny Rick had the perfect tire strategy for this race. He was fast the whole race. Yeah, he he did some tremendous overtaking at, at the end of the race on his on his soft tires. So the takeaways, I mean, top of the top thing, it really came down to tire strategy with the prevailing strategy being from to go from mediums to softs or from softs to mediums and avoiding the hard tire. The hard tire did not do well. Lewis and Russell were both put onto hard tires and routinely, consistently complained about their hard tires. It would have been interesting to see if they'd gone on to softs, uh, how the how the race would have ended up. How yeah. would Lewis been able to keep up with Max and, and yeah. even more passing? Yeah, it, it seemed pretty obvious that Merck was banking on the Red Bulls making two pit stops. And if they had, if Max had pitted a second time, it would have been a very exhilarating you know last 15 laps or whatever with max on softs trying to catch hamilton kind of like austin yeah exactly and and like you know maybe the same outcome but and the question throw at the end of the race was whether red bull had planned a one pit stop strategy all along or whether they had seen Danny Ritt go so many laps on his mediums that they then decided to do a one pit stop race for what it's worth. Christian Horner said in an interview after the race that they were never really thinking about two pit stops. So he made it sound like they went into the race pretty committed to a one pit stop. Take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, we we always believe what Christian says. Exactly. The other question, I think, for Red Bull, though, is Perez certainly is wondering if that five-second pit stop cost him second place. He was really close to coming within DRS range of Hamilton a few times. So if he had had a 2.2-second pit stop, which is his norm... I mean, he was going back and forth, seconds. you know, between 1.5 and 1, getting close to 1, which is DRS yeah. territory. Yeah, so he would have had a much more competitive race, if not an easy time overtaking Hamilton, if he hadn't had that extra two and a half seconds to, to fight. So a, a few penalties. Gasly was given two penalty points for pushing Lance Stroll off the track. It was not, what it was not subtle at all. Not only did he push Lance off the track, he pushed himself off the track too, and it was just blatant. I, I gotta believe he was locking up, or you know. Yeah, he slid. I mean, I, 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 I it was not a great move by Gasly anyway. But I also think he did slide more than he had anticipated, or locked up more than he had anticipated. After the race, they reduced that uh, point loss to one, just one point. Yeah, uh, it sounds like what happened is they, they allotted him two penalty points, and then Danny Rick collided with Sonoda, and the stewards said, wait, we have to give Ricardo more penalty points than we gave Gasly. So in the end, they gave Ricardo two penalty points and gave Gasly one point, which actually may have a difference. If they had given Gasly two penalty points, it would have pushed Gasly up to 11 points. You're only allowed 12 before you start getting banned from races. So I think Gasly is much more comfortable with 10 penalty points than 11. I was was somewhat less than organized, rigid application of the rules here. But that's a separate it's funny, issue. Funny, funny about that. Yeah. So, implicate what? What are the implications for all of this boring race on uh, driver and constructor standings? It really, 
It, it was interesting to think about because in terms of boring, because it certainly felt boring compared to pretty much every other race this season. But it's also a reminder that before this year's regulations and certainly before DRS was brought in, overtaking was difficult. This was right. more of the norm. Yeah, it's uh, like we've been spoiled. We have we've been. been. Spoiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The regs yeah. this year, are, I think especially, like they're doing what they were intended to do, which is making racing more exciting, but not in a high altitude circuit. The other part of it is, I think, a good number of us expectations were really high for interesting. Yeah, Merck was back in it, so now we had three teams in it. And we all thought there were three teams in it, and Merck was particularly nipping at the heels of, of Red Bull the past couple of races. And we had such high expectations, and God, I think Ferrari also Ferrari just was made it boring as well. I mean, Charles Leclerc described it as a lonely race afterwards because they were just nowhere. And so it just, yeah. But anyways, in terms of implications for driver constructor standings, Perez retakes second in the driver standing. He and Leclerc have been swapping second now for several weeks and sounds like this will continue. Hamilton overtakes signs in the driver standing for fifth signs falling to sixth. Double points finish for McLaren. There we go. There we go. Granted, they benefited from Fernando Alonso's DNF. Points are points. Exactly. Points are points. So McLaren gets two two drivers in the points versus Alpine's one, which gave them an additional four points in bringing them closer to Alpine. So it leaves only seven points between the two teams. Alpine is still... And fourth. Yeah, hanging on by the skin of their teeth. They're I have just more faith. Not going to make oh, it. With the two remaining races, I have more faith that Alpine will not DNF twice. I trust that Alpine's two drivers will finish in the points more likely, more often than Danny Rick manages to finish in seventh. Danny, whatever you need <laughs> to believe. You sound a little like Christian Horner right now in your confidence about a team that is currently behind. Well, now there, you've deeply insulted me. I'm, wo- <laughs> I'm, I'm wounded, wounded to the core by that comment. No, I, I enjoy our little rivalry here, even because, especially because neither of these teams are like our go-to team. Um, right. But- Right. But it's fun. Frivolity uh, reigns supreme here. On yeah. Competition. Uh, I am certainly not an Alpine fan generally, but I do think that they have just generally better car, better driver pairing this year. No, 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 no. McLaren's got the better car. Alpine's got no, the they better don't. drivers. They may have a more reliable car, but Alpine has a faster car. Anyway, moving right along here. Alfa Romeo gained uh, one point, but a crucial point in its shaky lead over Aston Martin, which scored zero. And now to our awards. The the baked good for the Mexican Grand Prix is actually a drink. It's a rompope, which is eggnog-like drink. It's got cream, it's got sugar, and it's got vanilla. I've had it. It is just delicious and sweet and rich as can be. Do you drink it like, cold or do you drink it warm? Cold. So, yeah. So, like eggnog minus the egg? Yeah. It's it's wonderful. Very fitting for the season. It is. I think we both agree that uh, Danny Rick is the baked goods winner. He It was his, his be- best race in a long time. He held on to seventh place in spite of having a 10-second penalty. It was really rather remarkable. And 
place higher than Lando Norris. He missed by what a uh, a week. My prediction that he would finish in the points and finish ahead of Lando. I was yeah, I was the, off by one week. I was going to say the two of you just were not quite on the same. Not page quite there. in sync. We had the right idea. We were just yeah. not in sync. He he noted in a in a post race interview that going that far on his original mediums or on the mediums he started with was actually one of the options that the team started with. He was asked afterwards, like, was that planned or was that just that you were shocked by how little the tires were degrading? And he said, no, that that was one of the options. He also would opt to not take you up on your baked good and would rather, according to his post-race interview, opt for a couple spicy margaritas. Yeah, I think couple is euphemistic, probably. (laughs) It's the polite version. This is family television. That's right. Honorable mention. I will just say, I agree that Baker goes to Ricardo. He also won driver of the day. But honorable mention going to Botas for coming in 10th. After coming into this race, he was the only driver to not have scored since Canada. And I know, I know what you're all thinking. Latifi has scored since Canada? Yes, yes, he has. Yeah, he picked up a, a crucial two points to to lift himself out of twenty first place, and in, he's only two points behind his teammate now. Yeah. So, anyways, I I've really enjoyed Botas's story this season, and that he just seems so happy. He's the, I think I consistently think he is the happiest driver on the grid right now. So good for him. He he qualified really well, and you know fell during the race, but still managed to stay in the points. So. Good for Botas. Thank you for participating award goes to. Thank you for participating. Ferrari. I just, I'm a Ferrari fan and I still have to give it to him. Like they were just absolutely nowhere. And we actually knew this because after qualifying on Saturday, the team actually said that their goal for Sunday was to have both drivers finish the race. That was their goal. Not, not, get on the podium but just not to dnf talk about lowering expectations yeah so i mean we we have to hope that this was a one-off that this was about altitude and that they'll be more competitive certainly at abu dhabi but yeah just they were they were nowhere again leclerc called it a lonely race this was leclerc's 100th grand prix today and I'm pretty sure he hopes he can forget it as soon as possible. Now, Mark is only 40 points behind Ferrari. As much as I'd love, just because I'm a, a Merck guy and, and uh, Jeannie's a, a Ferrari person, I'd love Merck to overtake Ferrari. Yeah, we're running short. It's we're sh- possible, unlikely. Well, if, you know, Brazil's a kind of high altitude place, the race in Brazil. So, you know, if, if Ferrari has another, we you hope need we a finish Ferrari race. DNF is really what you need for that to happen. And I, I do not. Wouldn't I, it be a surprise? Shush, if Ferrari- I, sh- I shouldn't have even said that. Just shush, shush. We're moving on. We're not talking about this. <laughs> we'll just look ahead to brighter things. So that is the Mexico Grand Prix. We move on. We have an off week. Next weekend, we all get to sleep in and in, enjoy the beautiful fall festivities. We will have a Brazil preview next weekend, including a refresher on sprint races. Because That's right. We still have a sprint race this season. So I will say, Buzz, you and your Mercedes, wishful thinking, you do have two races and a sprint race. A cornucopia of points. Oh, yeah. 
So many. Down to two races left in the 2022 season, again, plus one sprint race. A few outstanding questions that we will lead you with. Who will take second in the Drivers' Championship? Leclerc or Perez? They've been swapping second place. One of them will finally land in it. Uh, as Buzz noted, can Merck overtake Ferrari in second? I'm going to say no because I won't be able to sleep if I say otherwise. Can McLaren overtake Alpine in the constructors? I will also say of no course, to that. Of yep. course they will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and lastly, will Mercedes win a race? That has been the question now for several weeks. Specifically, will Hamilton win a race? And oh my, it, it felt possible in Austin. It it was possible today if Red Bull had opted for a second pit stop, which they didn't. Obviously, Hamilton's chance of of winning becomes less and less likely as we go down in races. One of the nice things about uh, going to Brazil, from my perspective anyway, I think Jeannie's also, is we are we are recording this after Sunday's Mexico Grand Prix on Sunday. And the news is that Lulu, uh, the former Brazilian president, has defeated Bolsonaro, the right-wing authoritarian president, current president. So I believe Lulu will be president when the Brazil Grand Prix uh, is run. Are you predicting an appearance? I've got to talk with my people about that. <laughs> We've had a couple heads of state show up at F1 races, so it would not would not be the first time. Yeah, fortunately, not in uh, Hungary. Yeah. So, yeah, those are a few questions left. We'll look forward to our Brazilian preview next weekend and certainly look forward to the Brazilian Grand Prix the following weekend. Final thoughts, Buzz? Nice week off. Other than that, goodbye, all. Take care, everyone. <laughs>